Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. Bibles and join with us as we're getting close to the end here of 2 Peter chapter 3, 8 through 10. A life of choices is the title. The question I have for you, or the guess the remark I have for you, that life is full of choices, is it not? Your whole life is choosing one thing or another. It could be a fork in the road. It could be left or right or go straight. It could be what college should I go to? Whom should I marry? What job should I do? What type of toothpaste I should uh, buy? You know, it could be everything from the various, uh, you know, biggest thing in the world to just the most trivial. But we all make choices and those choices have consequences, do they not? We understand that. I, I find this out more and more as I just have a, a type of uh, diabetes where I love brownies with walnuts and fudge on top of them. I love them. But the choice I have is do I love those brownies more than the fact that one day I could lose a toe? And so, you know, every once in a while I think, well, I have 10 of them. And, you know, every once in a while I practice and see how well I could do without one or another. Now, I don't want to joke too much because we know that that's a true possibility. I mean, some have even faced that. So there are some real dangers there. But, you know, as a diabetic, I'm finding that as I get older, I'm having to do that more and more. Would I enjoy this to do that? Knowing that if I participate in this one thing, the choice could be disastrous at the end. Now, choices aren't always that, but choices do have consequences. I think as I look among here, most of us understand that. Mike, you could give us just words of wisdom of how life choices over time uh, has consequences. Some positive, some negative, right? We all understand that. Well, in this one, today, as we're looking at 2 Peter, as a, as a matter of just frivolity here, as we're looking at a, a place in which you can have a face of, a glowing face of melting flesh, or a glowing face full of joy. That's your choice that Peter is going to give us today as we look at wisdom. A life is filled of giving encouragement and giving warnings. That's what we do in life to help us make choices, or to help prompt us to one choice or not. Now in last week's passage, Peter shared four traits of God to encourage the believers to stand against the distorted theology of the false teachers. There will always be people outside the church, and especially as we're looking at 2 Peter within the church, that will distort the word of God, that will distort the theology of God. And as we've learned, it's because they truly do not understand who God is. And so our theme has been, you cannot understand the Bible, you cannot understand right doctrine and theology, unless you understand God. Without an understanding of who God is, as revealed in Scripture, you and I are always going to be susceptible to the manipulation of Satan and his minions who ridicule the saints of God and seek to sow doubt into the minds of God's elect. Peter informs his readers from last week that God is transcendent. He is above time. He is outside of time and space. He does not operate as you and I do. That you and I can trust God because he is faithful and he will always fulfill his promises. That God is actively working in the affairs of the world today 
by patiently calling his children uh, to him while calling the, the, the wicked to repent of their sins. And lastly, we learn that God will exercise his sovereignty by judging the wicked while rescuing the godly. The son, I read this week, will die in 10 billion years. Mark that on your calendar. I'm not sure if your phone calendar will go that far. But in 10 billion years, the sun will die. And when it does, it's going to blow. What's left of us will become a billowing bubble of dead star stuff. What a phrase. A billowing bubble of dead star stuff. At least that is the prediction of one international team of astronomers, writes one journalist, who goes on to write that it's the kind of explosion that produces what is known as planetary nebula. According to the study in the science journal Nature Astronomy, our sun will go the same way as 90% of all stars will go. It's all just part of the cycle of life for yellow dwarfs such as our own. As it eats up all of fuel, it will expand into a red giant. Then at the end, it will collapse into a white dwarf. It's that collapse that will spew clouds of debris into the sky. For once, these astronomers may be onto something, at least some portion of the truth. Now, their timing may be off, but Peter agrees with these scientists that one day all things will melt away. Last week, Peter revealed that God promised that one day this world, that the heavens will pass away, that the heavenly bodies will burn up and dissolve, and that the earth and all the works done on it will be exposed. Until that day, when all things melt away, Peter asked his readers in our passage today, what sort of people ought you to be? And that's the question. That's the choice that's before you today. What sort of people ought you to be? Peter calls them to godly living in light of the second coming of Jesus. With that, let's read 2 Peter chapter 3, 11 through 13. I'll be here on the monitor. But we also want to encourage you to bring your Bibles. If you're in need of one, please let us know. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word in your hands for you to take with you uh, home so you can join with us as we read and prepare during the week. Let's read that passage. Peter goes on to say, since all these things are being dissolved. He was just talking about that last He goes, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Let's pray. Father, what a wonderful promise. What a strong word of encouragement and challenge to us this morning. Though written 2,000 years ago, Lord, this now sheds light on our, our choices today. For this is as relevant as it, was, as it was wet on paper in those days. Father, let us understand your word. Let us hear it. Father God, just minimize all distractions. And Father, may we just respond to your word in the way you've called us to. We praise in Christ's name. Amen. Peter asks a simple question to conclude his counter-arguments against these false teachers. If God's word is true... And if God is faithful to his promises, then there is a day of reckoning. That's the warning. That's the challenge to us. 
No amount of ignoring God's word, dismissing the predictions of the prophets, distorting the teachings of Jesus, nor the disparaging of the instructions of the apostles will change God's sovereign will. The false teachers and the false prophets inside church can do all they want, but yet God's will will be accomplished. God is sovereign. Destruction is imminent. Judgment of the wicked will commence at God's good pleasure and perfect timing. The reward of the faithful will include a joyful reunion when Christ returns as promised. This here is set in stone. You and I must understand that. That is the end of all things. You cannot ignore it, cannot dismiss it, you cannot avoid it. It will happen. Now, Peter does not write if all these things, but since all these things. In other words, it will happen. Peter is writing from extreme confidence that God will do as, his, as he's predicted. And you and I must accept God's word in the same way. What is this prediction? That all things are thus to be dissolved. Peter has emphasized this point several times already in his letter. If you have 2 Peter there, turn back to chapter, or look in the, at verses 7 through 10. It's just above what we were just reading. This is what we read last week. At the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. Count on it, it will happen. In verse 10, he goes on to say, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar. You will not know when it happens, but you will hear it coming. You will uh, see it happen as the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Dr. Schreiner, a theologian, writes that the destruction described is total and complete, involving a burning of the present elements of the world. We're talking about the atoms, the molecules. That's what it means when it says the elements will be dissolved. Twice in our passage today that we read earlier, Peter writes that the world will be dissolved. He wants to be crystal clear with both believers who he is trying to encourage and the false believers who he is warning the end is coming. This world will be set ablaze and be dissolved. Now God does not reveal this to satisfy our curiosity or so that we as Christians can set around and debate the timing or how he will come. That is not why God reveals it. He reveals it for our motivation. To give us a choice. To prompt us to make the wise choice in this life. Earlier in this letter, Peter has written that God's divine power has been granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. In other words, God's salvation has given everything that we need to be right with God and to, and to be inherit eternal life. He went on to tell us that you and I, once we're saved, that we need to supplement supplement, excuse me, our faith with virtue and knowledge and self-control, steadfastness, godliness and brotherly affection and in love. For if these qualities, he says, are in you and they are increasing, then they will keep you from being ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of God. Now, let me ask, and you don't have to answer, but I would assume as most of you here who have, a, who have a said and made a profession of faith, you want to be effective. You want to be fruitful. 
Who wants to be ineffective? Who wants to be unfruitful? I don't know too many people like that, but however, they may say that, but the choices they make in their life lead to that very thing. And what I'm here to share with you, I believe there are many here that profess Christ who are making choices that lead to ineffective and unfruitful lives. Now, if you may recall, Dustin shared this message with us, and I would encourage you to go back if you haven't and go to our website, and you can uh, watch that online. Because we need to understand the importance of what he's saying here. Now, so it is with this understanding of God's gift of salvation and the command to pursue sanctification, which is becoming more and more like God, that he asks this simple question. In light of the future judgment of God, here's the question. In light of the future judgment of God that will come, and that it will come against sin and wickedness, the question is, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of godliness and holiness? So that's the question I present for you on this Mother's Day. What sort of people, what sort of lives should you live today in godliness and holiness? Again, Tom Schreiner notes that eschatology, which is the, the study of future events, and ethics. In other words, the future events, the coming of Christ, and how you and, I, uh, you and I live are firmly wed in 2 Peter. They go together. It's the motivation, it's the goal, it's the prize. Peter is pointing out the fallacy of the doctrine of the false teachers. You see, they were enticing professing Christians to abandon the commands of Christ and the instructions of the apostles to pursue holiness. Instead, they were prompting the church to pursue the pleasures of the flesh and to satisfy their sinful appetites. Of course, if the beliefs of the false teachers were correct, that Christ is not returning, that there is no day of reckoning, and that you can sin all you want because we have a great big God who just wants to pour grace on us, then why not live that way? Enjoy life. If all we do is are born, we live our lives, and then we and there's no future, then just live life and enjoy. That's the philosophy of the world. Why not pursue your own personal happiness no matter the cost? And there are many people who have made that choice to live their lives like that. But as Peter has pointed out, the false teachers are wrong. The very premise that tries to reason and justify their actions are wrong. You and I must understand that. They do not know God nor the scriptures. They are not true Christians and they are to be repudiated and rejected. And I shared with you, as a congregational church that is elder-led, you have the responsibility as well as the elders to repudiate and reject any message that comes from here or is taught in scripture by our leaders that says something different than what's presented by the saints. And so you and I have responsibility Instead, Peter points out that since the end is coming, you and I should be motivated to live godly lives, knowing that God will reward the faithful and punish the wicked. So we have a choice. Pastor John MacArthur, as you look here on the monitor, he writes that holiness refers to a way, of Christ, of a, way a Christian should live, separate from sin. While godliness refers to the spirit of reverence that should permeate a Christian's attitude that rules the heart. 
Peter is laying out, the believer has a choice. You need to live for God or yourself. Would you turn back to the book of Joshua with me? In Joshua, he's going to give the same charge as Joshua gave to the 12 tribes of Israel in the promised land. Going back to the Old Testament, in Joshua chapter 1, look at verse 6 with me. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers and gave them. This is God speaking to Joshua. He says, only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. In other words, he's giving them a command. Make this choice. Do all that I've commanded you. Look in verse 8. This book of law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate it on a day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. So there's, with that command, there's a warning. If you make the right choice, here's blessings. But if you do not, here's a warning that may happen. Verse 9, have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. But now turn to Joshua chapter 24, near the end of that book. In Joshua chapter 24, in verse 14, Joshua now gives them the choice. After he has, God has given them that charge, they have lived their lives. Joshua is near the end of his life. They have conquered most of the promised land. Joshua has these last words in verse 14 of chapter 24. Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and from faithfulness. Here is a choice. This is what you must do. Put away all the gods that your father served beyond the river. And in Egypt serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the lands you dwell. He says, choose. If you don't want to choose God, then choose idols. Go ahead. But Joshua says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. The question still comes to you. What gods will you serve? What choices? And the choices, by the way, you make, tell me which God you serve. Which God you live for. Peter echoes this charge to believers. Make a choice. Serve God or yourself. This world here is temporary. Something greater is coming. Which do you prefer? Peter understands that Christ's delay in coming over 200 or 2,000 years, Christ's delay in returning is an opportunity for you and I to serve God. Or it is judgment where God is storing up his wrath. How will you live? He goes on then in verse 12 of going back to 2 Peter chapter 3. And in verse 12, Peter instructs believers that until the day when the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn, you and I are to be waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. So now he tells us how we are to live lives of holiness and holiness. You and I are to wait and hasten. In many ways, these are very two difficult instructions. To wait for and to hasten the coming of of the day of God. You and I need to understand what Peter is truly asking of us. 
Though Peter has already shared that you and I are to patiently endure suffering and to patiently wait for Christ's return, that does not mean, now listen, this does not mean that during that waiting period that you and I are to entertain ourselves or occupy ourselves with things that are not of Christ or godly in that time. God's delay is not meant for you and I to live lives without regard of God's coming. That's the very epitome or definition of what it says a fool has said in his heart, there is no God. It is a man who has no regard for God and does not take God into account as he makes choices and he lives his life. When Peter commands you and I to live lives of holiness and, God and godliness waiting for. We are to live holiness and godliness while waiting for. He is instructing them to look forward to the day of Christ. To wait with eager expectation. You may want to write that down on, on your, in your Bible. That, that, that waiting is eager expectation or anticipation for the second coming and the fulfillment of God's promises. The return of Christ is to be always on the mind of the Christian. It is to be our motivation, our goal, our prize, the reason why we get up in the morning. Unfortunately, too many Christians do not have an eager expectation for the return of Christ, but are too caught up with this world. The Apostle Paul wrote to Timothy, no soldier gets entangled into civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. To the church of Colossae, he says, if you've then been raised up with Christ, then seek those things which are above, who where God is, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things that are above, not on things of the earth. For you have died, your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ is in Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. To the church of Philippi, if you look on the monitors, I believe we may have this there in Philippians chapter 3, where he says, Brothers, join me in imitating me. Keep your eyes on those who walk according to the examples you have in us. For many of whom I have told you and now, whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, they walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. These were those who were inside the church, but now they are considered enemies of the cross of Christ. He says their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we what? Await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly bodies to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject things, all things to himself. And so you and I have to recognize, what is it that you're invested in? What are you invested in? What is it that gets you up? And I'll have to admit, there are many things that have me tied to this world. I remember being young enough and say, Lord, don't come until I graduate high school. Then, Lord, don't come until I get married. Well, Lord, don't come until I have children. Well, then guess what? If you have children, then guess what you want? Lord, don't come until I have grandchildren. And so I get so invested in this world. Now I've got Landon and then Nolan is coming here in August. I want to see them graduate and have children. There is always going to be things in this world 
that tie us down. It can be earthly things, money. It could be career, retirement. Of course, my retirement plan is the rapture, so we need to have to come in time. So just, that's, just, that's just a point right there. So we have to realize here is that what is it that you're invested in? What is it that you think of the first thing when you wake up in the morning? What is it that you think of and acquire and do during the day? How do you spend your time? What's your last thought when you go to bed? What's the, what's the first thing you wake when you wake in the middle of the night? What's your fears and anxieties? That's what's tying you down. And I'm afraid there are too many Christians that are so earthly minded that they're of no heavenly good. That's an old phrase. Let me ask you. Don't answer this out loud. But what are you so invested in that you would say, Lord, tarry. Lord, don't come yet. Are you ready to stand before God? Before the judgment and the reward of the faithful? Let me ask you this. Think about it. And I'm going to pause here. Would you want Christ to come right now? Don't shake your head if you're not living choices that are doing that. Would you want Christ to come right now? Now, wait a second. I don't want to say that waiting for children and grandchildren is something wrong. We should desire those things. We should desire the good gifts of God. You and I, see God's talking to me here. You've got to understand that God gives us these things and we are to enjoy them as good gifts. But again, believer, don't love and expect and anticipate the gifts rather than the giver. Love your wife more than what she gives you. Wife, love your husband, not because of what he does for you, but because of who he is and who God has given him to us and her to us. And you and I must understand that. Are you living in such a way that you're waiting patiently, not entertaining yourselves? You know, it's, we understand this, right? We go to the malls. The greatest thing that's ever happened is the man who finally said, let's put lounge chairs outside of the stores and malls. That man is, is great. And then let's put a child area to play. Why? Because what do we want to do as men? As the wives go in and shop, and I'm just generalizing, don't, don't take any type of misogyny or anything like that out of this. But we want to we just entertain ourselves while we wait. We have phones right now. You know, we, we, you, how did we ever go to the restroom before? What did we do with our time? You know, what do we do while we're just waiting for the bus or just in the car? I forgot what my point was. But we entertain ourselves. And you and I are waiting for God. Are you sitting here, God, where are you? Or are you saying, oh, not yet, not yet, finish. That's what our lives are like. I'm just asking. I'm guilty. I'm guilty. But he calls us with eager expectation to wait for Christ's coming. Yahweh promises us in Isaiah 49 that those who wait for me shall not be put to shame. Not only are you and I to wait with eager expectation, but we're also to hasten the debt day. Hasten means to do it with speed, to eagerly desire the second coming of Christ. Not to just expect it, but now desire it. And that's kind of building on what I've just spoke of. This means that you and I are to promote, to strive, to be active in bringing about that day. The believers of old would use the word Maranatha to remind them to eagerly desire that day. Maranatha is an Aramaic word that means the Lord is coming or come, O Lord. 
the early church faced much persecution. And the life for a Christian under Roman rule was not easy. The Romans required everyone to declare that Caesar was God. The early Christians knew that there was only one God and one Lord, Jesus Christ. And in all good conscience, they could not call Caesar Lord. So the Romans looked upon them as traitors and persecuted them and put them to death. Living under those adverse conditions, the believer's morale was lifted by the hope of the coming of the Lord. Maranatha became the common greeting of the oppressed believers, replacing the Jewish greeting of shalom or peace. They would greet each other with Maranatha, come Lord, come quickly. Every time that you and I take communion, we are instructed, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Are you ready to say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord? Or wait, wait, wait. Peter is encouraging the believers then and today that you and I are not to fear the day of the Lord. I think some of the problems is this Western American Christianity has gotten us away. There's too much to entertain us. We don't live in a persecuted society. Now, yes, it's getting close, but nowhere what we see in North Korea and China and Iraq and other parts of the world. Indonesia, again, uh, six churches was just bombed last night as Christians attended church. You and I really don't have that fear. I think Satan's greatest trick is just to keep us entertained and distracted from the things of God. And so our choices have not reflected our understanding that Christ is coming quickly as a thief. It's imminent. We would warn the, where he would judge the wicked and rescue the godly. We're not living lives prepared for that day. And he's encouraging them then and today not to fear the day of God. And you may say, well, I don't fear, but yet we do. Because we don't want to miss out on all that this world has to offer, Right? In comparison, we think that this world is greater than heaven. You say, no, I don't. Our lives show it. Our attitudes show it. Our calendars and our checkbooks show it. Your Netflix schedule will show it. What is it that is more important to you? Even though you and I do not know when Christ will turn, we are told to be alert, to be ready, to be aware that it may come at any time. As you and I learned last week, God does not work according to our calendar schedule, but according to his time. Scripture tells us that Christ will not come until the time the fullness of the Gentiles appear are fulfilled. He also says that the gospel of this kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Pastor Martin Lloyd writes that what determines God's intervention in the time process is the matter of moral conditions. Where is our hearts? Are we turned towards? Are we focused on God? He goes on to give us three ways that you and I can either can hasten or eagerly desire the coming of Christ. And these are here on the screen. Three, three things that you and I ought to do during this delay. The first one is to prepare ourselves. You and I need to prepare ourselves for the coming of Christ. The Apostle Paul instructs his disciples 
that the grace of God has appeared, that he's brought salvation for all people, and that we're to train ourselves to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. This is what you and I are to do during the day. We are to train ourselves for righteousness. We are to renounce all things that are against God. We are to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. What? Doing what? Waiting for our blessed hope and appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. The second thing that you and I are to do is to preach the gospel and make disciples. We are to preach the gospel and make disciples. Jesus said before he ascended to heaven, he gave us the great commission. He says, all authority has been given to me. He goes, I want you to make disciples and I want you to preach and teach, make disciples, baptizing them in the name. And I will be with you until the end. So you and I are not only to prepare ourselves by living right, but you and I are to preach the gospel and make disciples during that delay. Now here's just a, a note that I want to give you real quickly. Tom Buck on Twitter says this, on judgment day, God will not judge people, well, God will judge people, excuse me, not systems. No matter what influence any system had upon them, each person will be judged by his own actions. In other words, it's not about social justice. It's not about governments. It's not about politics. The primary task of the church is preaching the gospel, is to prepare the people of the world not to fix the systems. Now, it doesn't mean to say that we should not work to end poverty or we should not feed the hungry, that we should not take care of those who are in need. Obviously, that's part of loving your neighbor as yourself. But our goal is not so much to fix systems, but to preach the gospel, to bring people to the kingdom of God one heart at a time. So not only are we to prepare ourselves and preach the gospel and make disciples, but thirdly, we need to pray, thy kingdom come. You and I have been told how to pray by Jesus. Thy kingdom come, thy will on earth as it is in heaven. You and I should be living our lives and as is to bring that same thought process. We should desire God's will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven as one day it will be. Peter's exhortation is for Christians to eagerly anticipate and expect and desire the return of Christ. Knowing that our hearts can be easily divided and distracted with the affairs of this world, he points out that this world will be destroyed. This is not the opinion, uh, uh, just his opinion, but it's predicted by the prophets of old who said that the heavens shall rot away, the skies will roar up, roll up like a scroll, at the host the, uh, shall fall, the leaves shall fall from the vine. He goes on to say that all the mountains will melt under God and the valleys will split open like wax. So let me share with you today, choose today. Would you choose today to pursue godliness and holiness now? For this world will one day melt away under the judgment of God. But Peter goes on to state that you and I will not only have this will, but he has something greater for us. And with that, Three verses, and I couldn't get through it. So I'm going to have to stop. Second Peter just got an extra week long. So I'm writing a note here, but I need to end this for you because I want to bring it to you. Is that life is full of choices. And Peter says, here is the end. If you know, wouldn't that be great? If you knew what college you would go to or who you would marry, would you not make choices different? If you knew that this would be the end result, whether it was good or bad, would you not make a choice dependent on that? 
Well, God says, here, here's what's going to happen. Do you want a face that melts off with the flesh because you're burning in judgment? Or do you want a face full of joy? Now, some of you may say, this was the weirdest Mother's Day message ever. <laughs> so right here, I took some time to talk about mothers. And let me end with this. Mothers know exactly what Peter is doing here. How many mothers have warned their children, you better brush your teeth or they'll fall out. Don't cross your eyes like that or they'll get stuck that way. Most moms spend their time patiently teaching their children life skills just as Peter is doing in this passage. He is teaching the elect exiles some life skills. The skill of godly living. Choose God. But they also spend some time pronouncing judgment for misbehavior. Who can hear their mother right now echoing, keep on behaving like that and you will get what you deserve. Or the classic, wait until your father gets home. Mothers, you have a unique calling and responsibility to raise your children to love God with all their heart, soul, and mind and strength and to live that out by loving others as Christ has loved us. You too lead your children. And just as Peter is doing that, we need to recognize. We know the ending. We know that there is judgment for the wicked and reward for the faithful. Let us lead and choose today to serve God that you and I may come together in blessed heaven. Next week, I want to share with you that God says not only is there an ending, but there's something greater. And I want to spend some time. I don't want to shortcut that by giving that to you this morning. Next week, we're going to look at the new heavens and new earth. Why you would want to choose that rather than a face melting off flesh. With that, let's close our head and bow our, bow our, high, bow our heads and close our eyes. Ask the worship team to go ahead and come up. So here's my challenge to you. It comes from Peter. It comes from the Holy Spirit, not just from my lips. God has says, choose you this day whom you will serve. Would you serve God? Would you make the choice to serve him today? Are you ready to wait and to hasten, eagerly anticipate, expect, and eagerly desire the return of Christ? Would you do so today? We pray, Lord, take whatever may prevent me from hindering me from making the choice to serve you. Would you get that up today? If you don't know Christ, would you today? I want you to stand before him and reflect and receive the wonderful words, well done, thou good and faithful servant. I do not want to stand there and hear any of you Christ who says, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. Would you come today, choose Christ. Father, let us choose you. Lord, show us how the, the wonderful uh, joy in choosing to love you and to live our lives in godliness and holiness as we wait and we hasten, preparing ourselves for that day. Keep that day in our mind that as we make choices of how we spend our money, of what we entertain ourselves, of what we do during that wait, Father, that it never disqualifies ourselves from following you. Help us to do the pruning work through the spirit of becoming more like you as we add to our faith those things that you called us to do so that we can be effective and fruitful. We thank you for this. In Christ's name we pray. And God's people said...
Amen. Would you stand as we close out with song? God bless you. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.